Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, just a quick note before this episode. We recorded this one a while ago, and we've been waiting to release it until there was a verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial in the murder of George Floyd. We wanted to know whether there would be justice before we put this one out into the world. And we should probably include a trigger warning here at the top of this episode. This is the story of a female police chief in Philadelphia. It's about her reaction to Floyd's murder and how she managed her police force in West Philadelphia through what came next. But it's also much more than that. This is also about the woman who supported that police officer, her partner Jackie. This is a love story, but it is also a story about policing and how things do have to change. They're watching TV and they're watching this most horrendous murder by a police officer, by one and others standing by not doing anything, no bystander assistance, and watching a poor man die, you know, over a long period of time. That Saturday morning is when you wrote yes, the letter to your board. I was watching the TV, but I also felt like I really needed to almost vomit up my feelings of how horrible this was and how we as the police foundation, and I did a similar message to my whole division of public safety on just how horrible, horrendous, and unacceptable this was, and call it what it was, right? I have been with you for the past couple of years, and I've seen you take action 
when you have any concerns about any behavior. And it's like clear and swift and decisive and like you don't tolerate any of that. So I really saw that part of the way that Maureen handles uh, policing. And you know, you always did say it was about training and supervision. No one should ever let a fellow officer do anything to anybody unchallenged. And all it would have taken was one or two of those cops to have the courage to take that guy off off of Floyd, right? There's no blue, thin line here. This is how you will operate. This is how you will act. And if you don't, you will not have a job, or worse. But, you know, I think we also had some hard conversations about how to have a hold a nuanced position. My daughter was marching for Black Lives Matter in, in Brooklyn, New York, and that was difficult. I endorsed it, but it was difficult for Maureen, and I understood that, and I also supported my daughter doing that. I think police feel so under attack and thrown together, and people will say, don't take it personal. Well, I didn't do policing for 45 years in an impersonal way. So how am I not to take it personal, right? I just, you know, love Maureen and I'm worried about her. I've thought a lot about policing in America this past year. I think we all have. Maureen Rush, who you just heard, is the police chief and vice president of public safety at the University of Pennsylvania. She's in charge of 121 police officers in West Philadelphia. She is also the head of the Philadelphia Police Foundation. Her wife, Jackie, who you also heard, is a family therapist. She used to work at Penn, too, but now she's in private practice. I've known Maureen for half my life, ever since I was the crime reporter for our college newspaper, and she had to put up with me as a snot-nosed 20-year-old reporter asking her very annoying questions every week. She's since become a friend. There has been so much to unpack about policing in this country in the past 12 months. Maureen's been on the front lines of that. As her wife and as a therapist, Jackie's been a bystander, but also a support system. I'm Joe Piazza, and this is Committed. Jackie met later in life. They were both working at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm also in a band, and the band leader is a psychiatrist at the time at Penn. He would throw these large parties, and a lot of his colleagues from psychiatry would come. And so I had known Jackie from the parties, but when you're in a band, you don't get to talk to people too much. So I recognize her, I'd see her, and she, uh, was there one time where we did speak, and and she was with her partner, girlfriend at the time. Maureen and Jackie had a mutual friend, Tony, the psychiatrist who was also in this band. Anyway, Tony found out that Jackie was single. He said to her, hey, I think my drummer's on the market too. I want to take a minute here to let you know that Maureen's band is called House. 
mostly because we play in the house. But we are a classic rock band. We're all anywhere from uh, 60s to our bass players, like Johnny's, like Johnny Tuton is 75, I think. But we are all down with everything from uh, Stones to Fleetwood Mac, you know, the Jackson Brown. Not hard rock, but pretty hard rock, actually. And I'll let Jackie maybe chime in. Mo is kind of legendary at the University of Pennsylvania, so everyone hears about her before, you know, you first meet her. So, you know, you hear about this, you know, chief of police who's an out lesbian and who has a big presence uh, at University of Pennsylvania, and everyone knows her. And I didn't. So Maureen and Jackie meet at this house party in Tony's basement, where Mo is playing Crowded House, and they instantly hit it off. So first date, we just had brunch up here in Fairmount, and I picked her up, and... Uh, <laughs> you couldn't find her. I was just about to say, I, I am a uh, native Philadelphian, and she told me to, to meet her on Winter Street in front of her building. You know, I'm pretty good getting around, but I came down, and I didn't see a Winter Street. I rode around. I finally call her and say, I can't find Winter Street. And I'm on Spring Street, and she doesn't make me feel like a moron. She says, oh, I'll be right down. I felt a little silly. but uh, So, yeah, we went up, had brunch. Uh, I forget the name of the restaurant we went to. When we finished brunch, you know, dropped her back off. She did not invite me in. just want to make note of that. But she sat in the car, and we talked for a good hour. And I remember you saying, because, you know, Jackie speaks for a living. That's what she does. She's talking all the time. And she said, you know, I don't usually like to talk to people. Because I talk for a living, but I really find you t- talking to you interesting. Maureen is very interesting. I've listened to her life story dozens of times, and I can't get enough of it. Because Maureen's story is the story of women joining the police force in Philadelphia and the upward battle that they've faced for the past 40 years. I've been at Penn. Uh, it's my 27th year. You know, I came from Philly police. I, I was there for 18 years. And I was the first female police chief. I was the first female vice president. And I was definitely the first out lesbian of either. She is also not braggy, but Mo was one of the first women street cops ever in Philadelphia back in the 70s. She fought the battle so that women could be cops in Philadelphia today. She got interested in becoming a police officer because she met a woman who was working with the police as a rape decoy. And that sounded like an intriguing job. I was working at a bank in Center City in an underground concourse, and there was a series of of really violent rapes. One day, the police that I did know came in with this woman, and they said, oh, this is uh, Officer uh, Vicki Jupin. I said, I didn't know there were women officers. And they said, well, she's here as a rape decoy. And I went, rape decoy? Boy, that sounds interesting. And so, long story short, I, in fact, you know, the the joke was that my family, that I went home that night, I was, you know, I was young, I was, I don't know, 20 years old at that point, went home, was having dinner with the family, you know, still living at home with parents. I said, wow, I know what I want to do now when I grow up. And they all said, what's that? And I said, I want to be a rape decoy. Well, they almost all dropped their forks, right? And my, my mother's like, oh, that doesn't sound very fun. So she was also one of the first women street cops, beat cops, in Philadelphia back in the 70s. Back then, politicians and male police officers did not want women on their police force. 
Maureen started applying for the civil service exam. And back in 1975, the Department of Justice demanded that the city of Philadelphia allow 100 women recruits to join the ranks of the Philly police officers. None of the top brass in the city wanted women to be street cops. Frank Rizzo was, well, he had been the police commissioner and he was a cop's cop. And he was outraged. And as he said, I'm not putting little girls on the street. They're going to get hurt. Joe O'Neill was the commissioner at the time, and he uh, was very Puritan and did not want women and men in the same patrol cars because they would have sex. Well, when we got on the job, they were having sex, but it wasn't with us. And then, you know, they were pretty nasty as, as, as we were going through this, this pilot. You would see headlines in what was the Philadelphia Bulletin at the time. You know, Frank Rizzo saying uh, the only women that would want to be police men they're either lezzies or whores. It was nice walking around in a beat after you read that, you know, going to work. Um, Joe O'Neill was quoted as saying uh, in, federal, in the federal lawsuit why they were opposed to women on the force, that God in his infinite wisdom made men and women different. He would go on to talk about women have that time of the month. They're irrational. You can't trust them during that time. And uh, they're very emotional. So emotional always at that time of the month. Going through all of that and then being a street cop in Philly in the 70s and 80s, that shit toughened Maureen up. Some of the reputation I have at Penn is I'm this, uh, I'm a badass, tough ass, right? But then the people that get to know me say, you know, she's, she's like a M&M. She's hard on the outside and soft on the inside. So it toughened me up, but, but it also exposed me to the most vulnerable people in need. That's the part that I enjoyed about the job. I mean, I was, a, I was kind of a crime fighter type. I, I was always into tough areas and, you know, undercover robbery, burglary, undercover narcotics. And as I rose through the ranks, still liked being out in the action. Uh, so I, I liked both. I liked arresting people who were hurting people, but I also liked the social service side of of law enforcement, which, let me tell you, is a lot. There's a lot of what police do that nobody else wants to do. That social service aspect involved taking care of people, talking to them, trying to find out what they needed and how Maureen could help them get what they needed. That's how her job dovetails strangely with Jackie's work as a family therapist. I have a couple areas of specialization. I specialize in working with families that are struggling with substance use disorders and also families that struggle with a member who has a significant mood disorder or psychiatric illness. I work with a lot of adult families. I had to ask Jackie what it was like for her to start dating a cop. I've always liked cops. (laughs) And actually, when I was in my undergraduate years at Boston University, one of my favorite professors was a psychologist for the Boston Police Department. And it occurred to me that I could have my graduate school paid for if I, like, you know, went and worked for the Boston Police Department. And I thought that job was really cool. Like, and you used a lot of psychology. And, like, I grew up outside of New York City, And I was always taught that, like, if you were frightened or in trouble or lost or anything, you find the police officer. And they were, would always take care of you. And they always did. Like, that was my experience. So anyways, I took the public service exam to become a Boston police officer and then decided instead to, you know, do something in psychology. So I always kind of had a little 
soft spot in my heart for cops. So, But I've been a family therapist for a very long time. So, When you are both women in your 60s who've had previous relationships and adult children, there are some things that you get out of the way pretty quickly when you're dating someone new. When you're at our phase of the life cycle, there's some basic things you have to lay out, like, you know, I have kids, she has a kid, and what my situation is like, what kind of things I think she needs to know about me, what I can't change. So I think pretty early on, we felt very drawn to each other. We're raised Irish Catholic. We're both the youngest in our families. We both have a large age difference between ourselves and our older siblings. We both grew up in families with the illness of alcoholism. There were like so many similarities. We would joke that we were like afraid we were going to find out we were third cousins or something, you know. (laughs) There was just a, a lovely familiarity about Maureen and, you know, she felt like home to me. Ditto on most everything Jackie just said. And I think also we are both nurturers. And it was really nice to be met at the same level that I deliver. We kid that we argue about who's going to do what for each other. But yeah, I mean, we just felt it was easy. It was, it felt comfortable. It felt homey. When we've talked about this before, Maureen's told me that she thinks that most women cops are more nurturing than male police officers, that women cops often bring a different kind of energy to a situation, that they're just different at de-escalating situations because they're typically willing to talk people down first. I can't speak for the entire uh, population of women officers, but the ones that I know and I worked with and and work with today, I definitely see them take a um, just a deeper dive into the emotional side of what it's like to be walking into somebody's dorm room, in this case, or or living room, and being there at their worst moment. And how do you react to that? You know, are you just the facts, or do you, like, really, you know, help them through it? And, you know, suicide, rape, all sorts of, you know, stuff that you see as a police officer. And you have to also think, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I also think having a female chief absolutely sets the tone for that same nurturing because I have male police officers, I have male supervisors who, you know, are deeply emotional about the way that they want to deliver services and protect people. I was curious if being with Jackie, a family therapist, changed the way that Maureen thought about nurturing and relationship building. My management style, leadership style, has always been, which is interesting that we connect because it's been my, my, uh... Thank you, tagline. Well, my tagline is all about relationships. Oh, there you um, go. <laughs> we have built a culture in our division of public safety and in our police department that we know when somebody has a death in the family. We know when someone... Had a baby. We know when someone struggling with a sick, mentally ill child. And by showing up for people and, and connecting with them, you're connecting with the whole person. If you don't know what's going on for them in their lives, and we don't intrude, but you know, you just ask simple questions like, "Oh, how how's the baby?" And they open up because they want to, and it makes it feel warm and family-like. 
it allows people to be soft because otherwise they could just be marching around, hello, chief, and saluting. But when the chief says, hey, how, how's, uh, how's your mom doing? Like your father just died. How, how's it going for your mom? You know, like it totally changes that conversation and, and forever. Once people know that you know what's going on, and I've had that happen on the other side. I've had people who cared about what was going on in my life, and it makes a difference. We all know that you are not going to get anything done unless you do it through people. You can force feed it, but it's eventually going to fall apart. So that's the first tagline. Our second tagline is go out every day, everyone, go out every day and make emotional deposits in the bank. Well, I was going to say something also about the data that shows that women do police differently. And when women are police chiefs in certain towns, that the statistics show that. So I think that's also part of what happens. But particularly because Maureen is the chief, it's funny, when I was this friend of ours, Tony is the psychiatrist that (laughs) fixed us up, and he said, he told me a few things, and he said, and you know, all her cops call her chief, and has ended up being my nickname for her, chief. Because she is, she's chief. Just the kids saying it now. (laughs) My kids? Yeah, your kids. What do your kids think about you guys getting together? Uh, they think it's pretty terrific. Like, they, I think they saw me be happy and calm. And my, my daughter did say, you know, Mom, I don't think I've ever seen you be with somebody who's quite as social <laughs> as, as Mo. They call her Mo. And I can see that that's really a lot of fun for you. I think that was one Jackie of the Jackie used to things. have a very nice, quiet in life. Um, she would probably be asleep by nine. And one of the things I love working at Penn for is that there's always a party. There's always a farewell. There's always a kickoff. So I could be out every night of the week pre-COVID. So I started bringing Jackie to some of these events, you know, some black guy events, uh, you know, this and that. And the kids were like amazed that, you know, she wasn't in her pajamas and asleep <laughs> at nine. She it's was out, out being dragged around town. and uh, That's right. And uh, I think she was enjoying it, actually. <laughs> Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. One day, Maureen brought some suits over to Jackie's apartment. 
just things she could wear to work. I made room in the closet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, to, to Jackie's point, blending lives uh, when you're both, you know, have your own style and... Uh, we both had, you know, I had a big house that I loved. And so we both we both gave up things to, to join our lives. Maureen knew that Jackie really liked her when she cleared out that second bedroom, the one where her kids usually slept. She cleared it out so it would fit Maureen's ridiculously large desk. It was huge. But it also felt... Like, I remember early on, people would say, you know, how's it going? How's it going? And what I would remark was that I felt I was completely undefended. That I had been dating other people or whatever, but with Maureen, I was just undefended and everything felt really right. I moved in there, had my house sitting for empty for a year, and officially, officially, I guess, 2020, 19, 18? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to remember when I sold the house, but... You sold the house in 19. 19. So, official, I mean, uh, but I was, so really 18. Just was... She would say how convenient it was to get to the University of Pennsylvania from Center City. I can't believe I can just get there in 10 minutes. That did worry her that that was the <laughs> only reason I was there. Yeah. I said, no, it's for all the nice dinners you make <laughs> me. And that it's close. I've always loved Jackie and Mo's dynamic and their relationship. I've also always been fascinated by the exchanges between a cop and therapist. But I wanted to talk to them right now because last year was, well, it was last year. It was a lot. I think in a lot of ways, you were looking towards an easy last year of your job. Okay, this is going to be my last year. And tell me about how everything changed. Well, March started COVID. And interestingly enough, we had made plans to go to Mexico for a family trip. And when we came back, like, everything was hitting the fan. And it was a, a lot going on at the university, as all universities were trying to decide how to get students out of there. There was spring break, and the students from Penn were already away for the most part. We worked our tails off on trying to figure out logistics to not have students come back. But then, you know, and then for months later, trying to figure out how to ship their stuff home. And so tons and tons of stuff. Quick move out for the ones that were there, as many as we could get out. And then, like, shortly thereafter, we had the George Floyd incident. And people... Lots of things had happened. People are really upset. They're watching TV and they're watching this most horrendous murder by a police officer, by one and others standing by not doing anything, no bystander assistance, and watching a poor man die, you know, over a long period of time. That Saturday morning is when you wrote yes. the letter to your board. Yes. So That's I'm, how it started. So I'm also um, the volunteer president of the Philadelphia Police Foundation, and we raise money for things that are not budgeted under the police budget. And we have a big board, and we have a lot of donors. And I was sitting there that morning. I wouldn't leave. I was watching the TV. But I also felt like I really needed to almost vomit up my feelings of how horrible this was and how— we as the police foundation, and I did a similar message to 
my whole division of public safety on just how horrible, horrendous, and unacceptable this was. And call it what it was, right? One of the first, you know, sworn police officers that came out and actually called this a murder and actually uh, named it that way. You know, basically the first part of it was we're all in deep, we're deeply saddened and shocked to see, you know, a murder of a black man in such an inhumane way with a police officer who was just crazy looking. And the the sadness of also that other officers were standing there and didn't stop. And the same thing to my police officers. It was slightly different, but it is we don't accept this. And no one should ever let a fellow officer do anything to anybody unchallenged. And all it would have taken was one or two of those cops to have the courage to take that guy off the off of Floyd, right? But I blame the institution, I blame the police department on why this guy was a field training officer for young rookies. Two of those guys, it was their third day on the job, and the other guy just didn't have the courage. A lot of lives were absolutely ruined at the hands of this one violent predator who shouldn't have been a cop. And it's cops like that that just make enrage me because it's stereotyping at its worst. No one likes to be stereotyped, but there's a lot of stereotyping going on and has been for years for people of, of color. And, and policing has been, there's been stereotypes, but nothing like this because the rage is so, so deep that there are people that can't even see cops and think that there's anybody could be any different than the, this creep in, in Minneapolis. I mean, I also think the fact that I have been with you for the past couple of years and I've seen you take action when you have any concerns about any behavior and it's like clear and swift and decisive and like you don't tolerate any of that. So I really saw that part of the way that Maureen handles uh, policing. And, you know, you always did say it was about training and supervision. And discipline. Right. There's no blue, thin line here. This is how you will operate. This is how you will act. And if you don't, you will not have a job. Or worse. She had sent the letter out to her board and she was getting these really positive responses. And I went out for a bike ride. And by the time I came home, it was around 3 or 3.30. And the marches were happening in Philly. And the situation was turning more violent. And Maureen looked at me and said, you know, I'm going to have to suit up and go. And then I didn't see her for a solid week. So that weekend, though, that 30th, uh, that's when Center City literally was totally destroyed. Center City, Philly was absolutely, totally destroyed. Broken windows, fires. And then the next day, Sunday, I came right up to work on Saturday. And throughout the night, there was all sorts of stuff going on. And I remember at 5 a.m. on my way home, I had to drive through Center City and see how what, what happened. And I literally, it took my breath away. Like the Apple store, not only was all of it broken into, but there wasn't a thing on the shelf. 
uh, it was really violent, and the Philadelphia police were putting out what's called an assist officer call, and another one, and another one, and another one, and then calling me for assistance. Like, the bosses were calling, saying, we need help, we need help. I wasn't really fond of the fact that I was going to be sending some of my police officers out there, so I, I picked my tactical officers, and I put a deputy chief who's over the tactical unit with them, with strict instructions of, you know, we're out there to protect the firefighters who were getting things thrown at them as they were attempting to put out the fires that were being spread. You know, even some of the, the residents and store owners that were trapped by all the, the stuff that was going on. So the anxiety, I think, that everyone feels not knowing every day what's going to happen. And then on top of that, and across the cities of America, violent crime is like shootings and homicides. Philadelphia, it's up to almost 45 percent versus last year. So we're seeing violent crime as high as the, the mid-90s when it was peaking. And so the combination of the insanity of COVID, the isolation of COVID, the boredom of COVID, the unemployment, the riots, sporadic riots and protests and reviews of police departments. And you just pray when you go to, I pray when I go to sleep every night that I'm not going to get a call that one of my police officers I know that none of them want to be that person, but God forbid there's one misstep and that just will blow up what already has not been blown up. So it's been extremely, you know, and it's been, it's been also, I think police feel so under attack and thrown together. We aren't Minneapolis police. And frankly, every time another incident would be on TV, Brianna Taylor and, you know, you'd say, like, when, what is going on? But again, I can't speak for any other police department. I can't make them do it a different way. And uh, people will say, don't take it personal. Well, I didn't do policing for 45 years in an impersonal way. So how am I not to take it personal, right? So Jackie has heard me lament, rant, cry, Jackie, how have you supported Mo through all this? I had a friend, uh, our friend Bob, who was actually bringing her dinner. And I was on the phone every day with one of Maureen's sisters and her niece to just kind of let them know what was going on. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, just tried to do what I could to take care of her, you know, to make sure that there was food and that the place was, you know, that she didn't have to do anything when she came other than just relax and rest. That's what I tried. Did it feel good to have someone nurturing you like that when you've spent so much time taking care of other people? Oh, absolutely. I, I would get there on a Friday night and just collapse, have great food, hear the ocean. And I think without those weekends, I'd be out of my mind right now. And uh, I had no idea that Jackie had asked Bob to do all this. And he would come to my office, and we have a big conference room. And next thing, I'd be, like, sharing. Like, he'd bring all this food, and I'd say, oh, Lou, George, you want to eat? <laughs> we were ended up having, a, like, a little family dinner. As a family therapist, we, my brand of family therapy and the, the kind I was trained with is about social justice. So identity politics and, and, and those kinds of issues and issues around social justice were always something that I worked with. So I think that 
you know, we had a lot of conversations about racial issues. And I also think that, you know, if I would be reading something that I thought was important or that she should know about or whatever, because there was so much happening at the time, that I would talk to her about that or send her something or, you know, so like I felt like I also should be really aware of some of the scholarship or written material or that was out there, other places that were talking about equity and policing and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think we also had some hard conversations about how to have a, to hold a nuanced position. My daughter was marching for Black Lives Matter in, in Brooklyn, New York. And that was difficult. I endorsed it, but it was difficult for Maureen. And I understood that. And I also supported my daughter doing that. I think, to me, that's kind of what a family is, that you're trying to hold, like, all of these, like, a multiplicity of positions. Like, not everybody agrees. Not everybody sees things the same way. So I think that there was also, besides, like, this nurturing, I think there was also some you know, some heart-to-heart difficult conversations and some challenges in that. I think it was helpful for Maureen to have Jackie as that sounding board, as someone to give her some tough love and a completely different point of view that she might not otherwise be getting from other people in her life. Yeah, and, and you know, it was very helpful. Um, we didn't always agree. We had a little rumble with uh, Jackie's daughter one day over something, and... Uh, it was startling to everyone, my reaction. But, you know, at that point, I just felt so attacked that my nerve endings are on the outside of my body, right? But I have never been the person from the day I was a rookie that only associated with police. I always had a real diverse group of friends. I went to a diverse Catholic church that all the black sheep of the, of the, of the Catholic church in Philly found because I never wanted to have a myopic view. And so... I've always been attracted to people with different views or expansive views. And Jackie has a way of talking about it that it didn't make me feel attacked, which was, you know, important. I also think that there were times when we couldn't talk about it and we knew that we couldn't and we just had to find other ways of being together and that it was okay. Time for a quick break. Be right back. Hey, guys. Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. For a long time, I thought Maureen would never retire. And she told me when we did this interview that she was ready to step down, to do something new, to create a legacy that helps reform 
what's happening in America's police departments right now. I still don't believe her. I still don't think she's going to leave. But we'll see. Well, I'm taking care of my house first, right? So I have a build a succession plan and making sure the right people are in the right places and assisting with the replacement search for my position, which will be a national search because of the vice president position. And then I would love to talk about what I believe is good policing and, you know, share it with wide audiences and to help police departments that haven't moved in that direction re-envision how they could do it a different way and how, at the end of the day, they're being loyal to more people than just the people that work for them. So the whole loyalty thing, you know, some of the issues around the unionization issues, the arbitrations, a lot of those things are the reason that bad cops are not cut loose because there are police chiefs that do the right thing and they fire people and then there's an arbitration and they're told to rehire the person. And I've seen it. I've had it happen to me, but I've seen it in large departments, unfortunately, way too much. So I think this is an opportunity. I think policing needs to be re-envisioned, find a way in which you can be fair to everybody. It's not fair to the cops right now in some places. And I'm also very protective of my good police officers. You you can't go, I'm not going to be on a tear anti-police. I'm going to be anti-bad policing. That's my vision for life after Penn. And after Maureen retires from Penn, Jackie's going to get her back. They're going to get to spend more time together. I asked them what that was going to look like. Chief and I are going to take a trip. We're going to go to Ireland. Uh, That's what's going to happen probably, you know, next year at some point. And... I think we'll have a good time. Yeah, Jackie's been, like, through this whole year, as stressful as it has been. I also probably took the most time to take care of myself this summer than I have ever. I mean, I swam in the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, more this year than I probably ever have. I was bike riding. I call it Camp Jackie. It's kind of like a triathlon, you know. First you go on a bike ride, then 20 miles, and then you come back to the ocean, you put your bathing suit on, and... And you surf the waves. And, uh, you know, then sometimes she's up for a walk. It's like, God. So I hope I hope to uh, have her get some other hobbies. Uh, I, Camp Jackie's great. But that is all true. I, I think, um, so obviously, you know, doing some deep exhaling. And, you know, the thing that I look forward to is not having that musical chair feeling all the time. And if you all remember, you know, you're walking around and you don't know when the music's going to stop and you had that feeling in your stomach. It's kind of how I live. I've been on call for 27 years, 27 years, 365, 24-7. And we've looked at other models. There's just no way. You have to be. You have to be, right? So I won't miss, nor will Jackie miss uh, the 3 a.m. calls where you have to put out a, a, a U-Pen alert because there's a robbery or worse. And we've talked a lot about how it's been for me, but I think it's also been hard on Jackie to live that kind of lifestyle because she's, you know, like I'll try and jump up and go in the next room. In the beginning, she thought it was cute. She'd like to hear it. And then she didn't think it was cute anymore. It's like, okay, go in the next room. Uh, or you have to get up in the middle of the night, get dressed and go in because something horrible happened. 
So I won't miss that. Yeah, there have been parts of it that have been really hard. I think more so because I just, you know, love Maureen and I'm worried about her. But, you know, truly it's not good to have that much cortisol. You know, it's not good. And so that worries me about her. So I think it's great that she's in Camp Jackie and she's uh, riding a bike and doing stuff because it can't be good to live that way and have that much stress consistently for that many years and the stress this year. Come next summer, the two women plan to renovate their place down the Jersey Shore and spend much more time together than they ever have before. I don't know, maybe we'll kill each other. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I could so take you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to her. <laughs> we finished this episode in the middle of the pandemic, right when it started to get cold again. Maureen and Jackie actually came to my house, and we recorded this eight feet apart in my backyard. It was freezing, and you can probably hear the fireflies outside, and you might hear my children. Mo and Jackie were not married when we recorded this episode. But then a few weeks later, I got a call from Mo, and she said, I did it. She said, I asked Jackie to marry me. She's told me that telling their love story on Committed was part of the reason that it made her remember all of the wonderful reasons that the two of them are together. I think she was just flattering me and she would have done it anyway, but I'll take it because I love hearing things like that. So in the middle of this terrible year, in the middle of the pandemic, these two women got engaged and then married and they're continuing to celebrate their love for each other today. So I want to end this episode with just one word. Congratulations. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. With special thanks to Jackie Hudak and Maureen Rush. Supervising producer is Ramsey Young. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's jo at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 